chapter twenty five of mrs craddock by william somerset mom this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva if the gods who scatter wit in sundry unexpected places so that it is sometimes found beneath the bishop's mitre and once in a thousand years beneath a king's crown had given edward two pennyworth of that commodity he would undoubtedly have been a great as well as a good man fortune smiled upon him uninterruptedly he enjoyed the envy of his neighbours he farmed with profit and having tamed the rebellious spirit of his wife he rejoiced in domestic felicity and it must be noticed that he was rewarded only according to his deserts he walked with upright spirit and contented mind along the path which it had pleased a merciful providence to set before him he was lighted on the way by a strong sense of duty by the principles which he had acquired at his mother's knee and by a conviction of his own merit finally a deputation waited on him to propose that he should stand for the county council election which was shortly to be held he had been unofficially informed of the project and received mr athill Backett with seven committee men in his frock coat and a manner full of responsibility he told them he could do nothing rashly must consider the matter and would inform them of his decision but edward had already made up his mind to accept and having shown the deputation to the door went to bertha things are looking up he said having given her the details the blackstable district for which edward was invited to stand being composed chiefly of fishermen was intensely radical old Baggett said i was the only moderate candidate who'd have a chance bertha was too much astonished to reply she had so poor an opinion of her husband that she could not understand why on earth they should make him such an offer she turned over in her mind possible reasons it's a ripping thing for me isn't it but you're not thinking of accepting not of course i am what do you think this was not an inquiry but an exclamation you've never gone in for politics you've never made a speech in your life she thought he would make an abject fool of himself and for her sake as well as for his decided to prevent him from standing he's too ignorant she thought what i've made speeches at cricket dinners you set me on my legs and i'll say something but this is different you know nothing about the county council all you have to do is look after steam-rollers and get glandered horses killed i know all about it there is nothing so difficult as to persuade men that they are not omniscient bertha exaggerating the seriousness of the affair thought it charlantry to undertake a post without knowledge and without capacity fortunately that is not the opinion of the majority or the government of this enlightened country could not proceed i should have thought you'd be glad to see me get a lift in the world said edward somewhat offended that his wife did not fall down and worship i don't want you to make a fool of yourself edward 
you've told me often that you don't go in for book learning and it can't hurt your feelings when i say that you're utterly ignorant i don't think it's honest to take a position you're not competent to fill me not competent cried edward with surprise that's a good one upon my word i'm not given to boasting but i must say i think myself competent to do most things you just ask old bacchett what he thinks of me and that'll open your eyes the fact is everyone appreciates me but you but they say a man's never a hero to his valet your proverb is most apt dear edward but i have no intention of thwarting you in any of your plans i only thought you did not know what you were going in for and that i might save you from some humiliation humiliation where pooh you think i shan't get elected well look here i bet you any money you like that i shall come out top of the poll next day edward wrote to mr bacchett expressing pleasure that he was able to fall in with the views of the conservative association and bertha who knew that no argument could turn him from his purpose determined to coach him so that he should not make too errant a fool of himself her fears were proportionate to her estimate of edward's ability she sent to london for pamphlets and blue books on the rights and duties of the county council and begged edward to read them but in his self-confident manner he pooh-poohed her and laughed when she read them herself so as to be able to teach him i don't want to know all that rot he cried all a man wants is gumption why do you suppose a man who goes in for parliament knows anything about politics of course he doesn't bertha was indignant that her husband should be so well satisfied in his illiteracy and that he stoutly refused to learn it is only when a man knows a good deal that he discovers how unfathomable is his ignorance edward knowing so little was convinced that there was little to know and consequently felt quite assured that he knew all which was necessary he might more easily have been persuaded that the moon was made of green cheese than that he lacked the very rudiments of knowledge the county council elections in london were also being held at that time and bertha hoping to give edward useful hints diligently read the oratory which they occasioned but he refused to listen i don't want to crib other men's stuff i'm going to talk on my own why don't you write out a speech and get it by heart bertha fancied that so she might influence him a little and spare herself and him the humiliation of utter ridicule old bacchett says when he makes a speech he always trusts to the spur of the moment he says that fox made his best speeches when he was blind drunk do you know who fox was asked bertha some old buffer or other who made speeches the day arrived when edward for the first time was to address his constituents in the blackstable town hall and for a week past placards had been pasted on every wall and displayed in every shop announcing the glad news mr bacchett came to court leys rubbing his hands we shall have a full house it'll be a big success the hall will hold four hundred people and i think there won't be standing room i dare say you'll have to address an overflow meeting at the forester's hall afterwards i'll address any number of meetings you like replied edward 
bertha grew more and more nervous she anticipated a horrible collapse they did not know as she did how limited was edward's intelligence she wanted to stay at home so as to avoid the ordeal but mr bacot had reserved for her a prominent seat on the platform are you nervous eddie she said feeling more kindly disposed to him from his approaching trial me nervous what have i got to be nervous about the hall was indeed crammed with the most eager smelly enthusiastic crowd bertha had ever seen the gas jets flared noisily throwing crude lights on the people sailors tradesmen laborers and boys on the platform in a semicircle like the immortal gods sat the notabilities of the neighborhood conservatives to the backbone bertha looked round with apprehension but tried to calm herself with the thought that they were stupid people and she had no cause to tremble before them presently the vicar took the chair and in a few well-chosen words introduced mr craddock mr craddock like good wine needs no bush you all know him and an introduction is superfluous still it is customary on such an occasion to say a few words on behalf of the candidate and i have great pleasure etc etc now edward rose to his feet and bertha's blood ran cold she dared not look at the audience he advanced with his hands in his pockets he had insisted on dressing himself up in a frock coat and the most dismal pepper-and-salt trousers mr chairman ladies and gentlemen unaccustomed to public speaking as i am bertha looked up with a start could a man at the end of the nineteenth century seriously begin an oration with those words but he was not joking he went on gravely and looking around bertha caught not the shadow of a smile edward was not in the least nervous he quickly got into the swing of his speech and it was terrible he introduced every hackneyed phrase he knew he mingled slang incongruously with pompous language and his silly jokes chestnuts of great antiquity made bertha writhe and shudder she wondered that he could go on with such self-possession did he not see that he was making himself perfectly absurd she dared not look up for fear of catching the sniggers of mrs branderton and of the hancocks one sees what he was before he married miss ley of course he's a quite uneducated man i wonder his wife did not prevent him from making such an exhibition of himself the grammar of it my dear and the jokes and the stories bertha clenched her hands furious because the flush of shame would not leave her cheeks the speech was even worse than she had expected he used the longest words and getting entangled in his own verbosity was obliged to leave his sentence unfinished he began a period with an elaborate flourish and waddled in confusion to the tamest commonplace he was like a man who set out to explore the andes and then changing his mind took a stroll in the burlington arcade how long would it be asked bertha before the audience broke into jeers and hisses she blessed them for their patience and what would happen afterwards would mr bacot ask edward to withdraw from the candidature 
and supposing edward refused would it be necessary to tell him that he was really too great a fool bertha saw already the covert sneers of her neighbors oh i wish he'd finish she muttered between her teeth the agony the humiliation of it were unendurable but edward was still talking and gave no signs of an approaching termination bertha thought miserably that he had always been long-winded if he would only sit down quickly the failure might not be irreparable he made a vile pun and every one cried oh oh bertha shivered and set her teeth she must bear it to the end now why wouldn't he sit down then edward told an agricultural story and the audience shouted with laughter a ray of hope came to bertha perhaps his absolute vulgarity might save him with the vulgar people who formed the great body of the audience but what must the brandertons and the molsons and the hancocks and all the rest of them be saying they must utterly despise him but worse was to follow edward came to his peroration and a few remarks on current politics of which he was entirely ignorant brought him to his country england home and beauty he turned the tap of patriotism full on it gurgled in a stream he blew the penny trumpets of english purity and the tin whistles of the british empire and he beat the big drum of the great anglo-saxon race he thanked god he was an englishman and not as others are tommy atkins and jack tar and mr rudyard kipling danced a jig to the strains of the british grenadiers and mr joseph chamberlain executed a basel to the air of yankee doodle lastly he waved the union jack the hideous sentimentality and the bad taste and the commonness made bertha ashamed it was horrible to think how ignoble must be the mind of a man who could foul his mouth with the expression of such sentiments finally edward sat down for one moment the audience were silent for the shortest instant and then with one throat broke into thunderous applause it was no perfunctory clapping of hands they rose as one man and shouted and yelled with enthusiasm good old teddy cried a voice and then the air was filled with for he's a jolly good fellow mrs branderton stood on a chair and waved her handkerchief miss glover clapped her hands as if she were no longer an automaton wasn't it perfectly splendid she whispered to bertha every one on the platform was in a frenzy of delight mr Bacot warmly shook edward's hand mrs mayston ryle fanned herself desperately the scene may well be described in the language of journalists as one of unparalleled enthusiasm bertha was dumbfounded mr Bacot jumped to his feet i must congratulate mr craddock on his excellent speech i am sure it comes as a surprise to all of us that he should prove such a fluent speaker with such a fund of humour and uh, and common sense and what is more valuable than these 
his last words have proved to us that his heart his heart gentlemen is in the right place and that is saying a great deal in fact i know nothing better to be said of a man than that his heart is in the right place you know me ladies and gentlemen i have made many speeches to you since i had the honor of standing for the constituency in eighty five but i must confess i couldn't make a better speech myself than the one you had just heard you could you could cried edward modestly no mr craddock no i assert deliberately and i mean it that i could not do better myself from my shoulders i let fall the mantle and give it here mr bacot was interrupted by the stentorian voice of the landlord of the pig and whistle a rabid conservative three cheers for good old teddy that's right my boys repeated mr bacot for once taking an interruption in good part three cheers for good old teddy the audience opened its mighty mouth and roared then burst again into for he's a jolly good fellow arthur branderton when the tumult was subsiding rose from his chair and called for more cheers the object of all this enthusiasm sat calmly with a well-satisfied look on his face taking it all with his usual modest complacency at last the meeting broke up with cheers and god save the queen and he's a jolly good fellow the committee and the personal friends of the craddocks retired to the side-room for light refreshment the ladies clustered round edward congratulating him arthur branderton came to bertha ripping speech wasn't it he said i had no idea he could jaw like that by jove it simply stirred me right through before bertha could answer mrs mayston ryle sailed in where is the man she cried in her loud tones where is he show him to me my dear mr craddock your speech was perfect i say it and in such good taste said miss hancock her eyes glowing how proud you must be of your husband mrs craddock there's no chance for the radicals now said the vicar rubbing his hands oh mr craddock let me come near you cried mrs branderton i've been trying to get at you for twenty minutes you've simply extinguished the horrid radicals i couldn't help crying you were so pathetic one may say what one likes whispered miss glover to her brother but there's nothing in the world so beautiful as sentiment i felt my heart simply bursting mr craddock added mrs mayston ryle you've pleased me where's your wife that i may tell her so it's the best speech we've ever had down here cried mrs branderton that's the only true thing i've heard you say for twenty years mrs branderton replied mrs mayston ryle looking very hard at mr Atthill Bacot. End of chapter twenty five